When you think about your childhood, what are some of the memories that come back to you? Do you think about a trip that you and your family went on? Or does your mind drift back to simpler times spent away from school and on summer vacation? You also might have a particular friend in mind when you went over to their house to play after school. For me when my mind drifts back to my childhood it can be summed up in two simple words. Seaside. Heights. For those that have heard the name and associate it with that dreadful reality show that was on MTV let me stop you right there. The Jersey Shore was an abomination of a show that was aired on that network and it could have been set anywhere in the world. However, in their infinite wisdom they chose this town to host the show. This wasn't the main reason why Seaside Heights has become a shadow of its former self. A fire that happened in 2013 was the start of the decline and Hurricane Sandy hitting in 2017 would be the final nail in the coffin. The people of Seaside vowed to rebuild the boardwalk however, it would not be as grand as it was in its heyday. The boardwalk spanned for miles as there were two piers that jutted out into the Atlantic complete with rides, games of chance and other attractions. For my family every year like clockwork we would get ready to spend a month or so at this gorgeous resort by the sea. It would happen after the July 4th weekend as we spent time packing and then began the long drive down to seaside heights. The trip would come to a close when we crossed the Thomas A. Mathis Bridge and as soon as you crossed it you were in seaside. We would spend the days frolicking amongst the waves and at night we would go exploring the boardwalk getting lost in the various arcades, attractions and sampling some of the best food around. It was also amazing to see the advancement of technology throughout the years as the machines would change with the times. My first two trips had the arcades packed with pinball machines and most of those were of the electro-mechanical variety, or I love to call them lap counters. There were also primitive games like light gun games, driving games and some video games that were in their infancy. Most of these spotted blocks for graphics and were black and white in these massive arcade cabinets. As the years passed the games would get bigger and better with new colored graphics, digitized voices and better gameplay. From old favorites like Asteroids and Space Invaders to newer games like Paperboy and Star Wars. These were the games that ate my supply of quarters on the daily. I can remember almost every year going to the shore with clarity except for one year. And that year was 1984. That was the year this new game appeared in only one arcade out of the numerous ones that lined the boardwalk. It was at the southern end of the boardwalk right by Sawmill which is an amazing pizza place that still sells massive portions by the slice. Nestled between games that were new and old was a machine that had a black cabinet with no decals at all. The marquee proclaimed the game to be called Dark Archon and it was a new game that was a hybrid of Laserdisc and Vector Graphics.
The backgrounds were these trippy visuals that ranged from verdant green forests to elaborate hellscapes. Gameplay would take place in the foreground with a warrior battling various beasts to make his way towards the next level. The game was similar to other top-down games like Gauntlet however. You only played as a warrior with a sword and shield. You could collect various power-ups that would give you ranged attacks, shields or obliterate everything on the screen. Once you cleared the level you are treated to a 3D animation of you walking downstairs to the next level. It is amazing that I can recall this much of the game. That summer was a special time in my life reaching the ripe old age of 14 years old. This was considered a milestone as my parents thought fit to let me get into trouble on my own. Armed with $20 in cash, a pair of roller skates and specific instructions to return back to the room before 4 p.m. I was given. Free reign. My entrepreneurial mind even gave me an amazing idea to run lunch orders for the people manning the Various prize booths scattered along the boardwalk. This was an amazing way to earn some extra money and also get in good with some of the booths. My first encounter with Dark Archon was earlier in the day before the summer heat baked the whopping boards. It was just after breakfast and my family wanted to go to the beach and I had no interest in going. Armed with $20 in cash and wearing my trusty pair of roller skates I headed off to the nearest arcade getting five dollars in quarters after playing a few rounds of star wars track and field and cloak and dagger i decided to give this game a try the game started and the backgrounds would flash with multicolor prismatic lights part of me didn't even remember how far the game progressed as the next set of memories seemed to be wiped from my brain I was standing on the beach. My skates were slung over my shoulder as my feet were getting wet as there was a stick in my hand poking at a dead jellyfish that had washed ashore. My parents had seen me and waved and were excited to see me. Hey champ! My dad exclaimed. I thought you said you were too old to go to the beach? My mom came right up to me and kissed me on the cheek. You okay sweetie? I nodded as my sister smirked. He probably ran out of money and wanted to see if he could get some more. Looking in my pockets. There was around $18 so that couldn't have been it. How the hell did I get on the beach? Was it the game? Some of the games were getting boring so I decided to check on you guys and see what you were up. To. The lie rolled off my lips so easily that even I believed it. The rest of the afternoon was spent on the beach as we had burgers from the aforementioned sawmill. And the food was amazing. Later that evening we had our usual ritual as we looked for prizes to win and games to play. We rarely went on rides as there wasn't really a lot that held our interest a few years ago we went on some dark ride but my eyes were shut the entire time. Now mind you I am in my 40s now and part of me remembers those dreams as they were some of the most vivid ones in my childhood. 
These dreams were of me as a warrior engaging in mortal combat with hideous beasts that needed to be vanquished. The amount of rage that my heart held for these creatures was unsurpassed. Blood poured off of the edge of my battle axe as some of more pathetic creatures begged for their lives before being slain. When the alarm went off at 6 am I felt ready to take on the day with a surge of energy that had never been experienced before. My parents even looked at me funny as we sat down to eat at a local outside eatery called Barney's. This place was famous for its enormous breakfasts as you could get two eggs, bacon, hash browns and toast for less than three bucks back then. My father looked at me sternly as I was shoveling potatoes into my mouth. Slow down son. No one is going to take it away from you. Stopping Michu and looking up at him sheepishly and mumbling, sorry dad, around a mouthful of food. EWW. Gross. My sister let her displeasure known for the entire packed restaurant. Indoor voice Mary Grace, as my mother shot her a look that could bore through steel. She muttered something and went back to eating her eggs. My mother smiled at me, managing to swallow my food and washing it down with a big gulp of water. So what are your plans today kiddo? Smiling wide I told her my plans which were to roll a skate up and down the boardwalk offering my services to new clients. Seeing as these people couldn't leave their booths to get food they would give me the money and pay me in tips. On a good day my profits were at least 30 to 40 bucks and the money was used to either get lunch, play games or even go on rides. Finishing up my breakfast my father gave me a pat on the shoulder and put a $20 bill in my hand. Just remember to be back by 3 today as we are going to try that new Japanese restaurant that opened. The morning had been productive. Running errands for some of my clients and making a good chunk of change before my first run. A little before the lunch rush put me back at the park arcade and that same game was still there. Wondering if this was some type of gimmick or a fluke I put in my quarter and started playing. My mind struggles to remember how long that I was playing for and in the blink of an eye the scene. Shifted. I was outside again however. This time I was across the street from Rainbow Rapids which was one of the first water parks in. Seaside. And this kid who might have been 15 years or older was in my face shouting at me. Hey. Space cadet. You gonna fork over those skates or what? This punk kid was dressed in blue jeans. A rush t-shirt and a denim jacket with the sleeves cut off covered in patches from various bands. There were two other cronies that were with him dressed in similar attire as they thought themselves a gang. Without thinking I managed to sprint past them as they split up and tried to box me in. A game of cat and mouse ensued that was spread over a few blocks as my progress toward the hotel was impeded. Over the course of an hour they would block certain avenues of escape however. My skates proved to be my best ally.
Eventually my pursuers finally gave up as my family was waiting on the street leading back to the hotel. Where the hell have you been? My mother ran up to me screaming and crying. Before any answer was given she hugged me tightly. Burying her head in my shoulder. My sister moved behind her glaring at me as if she caught me doing some atrocity. The worst was my father who just stood off to the side. His arms crossed and addressing me with a featureless stare. My mind went into damage control as tears flowed from my eyes as the only two words that came out of my mouth was, I'm sorry. My mom shoved away from me as she stormed upstairs to the hotel room with my sister in tow. Taking off my skates as I walked past my dad he didn't say anything but continued to look at me. With the same stare. You scared the shit out of her you know. His voice was flat with no signs of aggression. I, I know, I didn't mean to. Replying with genuine fear in my voice letting out a long sigh he ruffled my hair. As he walked behind me. Just go apologize to her and she'll forget about it by tonight. Walking to the hotel room was like. The last walk you take when you are going to be executed. You know that something horrible is waiting behind that door and you don't want to go in. However, you know there is little choice in the matter and you do so anyway. My mother was lying on the couch. As she was prone to heart palpitations all her life. This would be random however. Stress would also bring her to this point. I told her that I was sorry and eventually like my father predicted she forgot about this incident. And we went out to dinner. We were one of the first people to try a Japanese restaurant that had opened in Seaside and it was amazing. That night after our escapades on the boardwalk and coming home a big winner with a myriad of prizes I settled into bed on the couch. Sleep did not come easy as nightmares plagued my vision as the thugs that tried to assault me were following me. Even when waking up multiple times they were still there as my mind went from fear to anger to absolute rage. When the alarm went off at 7 am it felt like I had not slept and as we went to breakfast at Perkins. Hey kiddo did you sleep alright? My dad asked shaking my head partially to clear it and to answer my father. My mind settled on whether to order a cup of coffee. Trying the hot beverage only once had a negative effect on me so that was out and I opted for a glass of ice water. My mom looked at me worriedly. Bad dreams. Taking a bite of my silver dollar pancakes and chewing it thoughtfully gave me time to answer. It's alright ma. Besides, are we only here for another three days? It's not a big deal. Maybe it's the ghosts that haunt the hotel and are back for revenge. My sister grinned at me. Show. Sis. That's the only way you'd get a guy to go out with you. My dad laughed a bit too loud at my retort. As a few patrons of the restaurant looked at us. He smirked as he gave me a light punch in the arm. Good one son. Now finish up your breakfast. The remainder of that day was spent earning some good money on the boardwalk as there was an influx of a lot of tourists.
Also, being a Friday a lot of the locals from other townships came out to eat, drink and have fun. At the end of the day I had close to 60 bucks in my pocket and while I went by the arcade that housed Dark Archon my resolve was strong that day. That night I even offered to pay for the family's dinner at three brothers from Italy Pizzeria although my father declined. He was impressed by my hard work and dedication as I won a few prizes on the boardwalk not only for myself but for my mother and sister. Part of me expected some bad dreams however. There were no dreams at all. As we went to get some breakfast part of me thought this whole ordeal was becoming ridiculous. A video game that can cause blackouts and nightmares? Sounds like a recipe for a cheap horror movie. As my father gave me my daily allowance he smiled at me. Proud of you son. You have been really good with your money this trip. Here's a little extra. Don't work today just go and have fun. With the two crisp $20 in hand I made my way over to Thay. Arcade right across the street from the hotel that housed Dark Archon. I broke one of the bills and got $5 in quarters and started to play the game. Lights flashed. Backgrounds changed and warped and while my grip was tight on the joystick I felt myself slipping. Deeper into the game. The next thing I know I was on top of that punk that demanded my skates. My mouth was uttering a string of curses that would make a veteran sailor blush. Raining blow after blow upon his ruined face as blood spattered the back alley we were in. His two cronies lay in crumpled heaps as they panted and groaned from their injuries. It was as if I was still on autopilot as part of me wanted to stop punching him. However, there was a side of me that wanted to split his skull open. This had happened once before in my life. As a little kid we moved into a neighborhood and an older kid picked a fight with me. He beat me senseless and there was a pipe lying in the gutter as I grabbed it and chased him with it. He got away but the amount of rage that ran through my veins was the same as it was right. Now, eventually I ran out of steam and leaned back wiping the blood off my fists on his denim jacket. Instead of making a big scene and these kids were in no shape to scream for help I got up and skated back to the boardwalk. In my mind it was as if nothing had happened and after finding a bathroom to clean up part of me. Felt better. Hey, you alright kid? A teenager asked me. I quickly nodded. Why yeah just had a minor wipe out in the parking lot. No big deal. He nodded as he noticed the blood running into the sink. Alright, have a good day and stay safe. The rest of the day was spent as if nothing had happened. Spending time in the local arcades. Saying goodbye to some of my clients as some of them had gifts for me and enjoying the general vibe. Off the boardwalk, I made sure to get back to the hotel ahead of time to make sure not to worry anyone as my father. Surprise us all with dinner at a fancy steakhouse. We all dressed up real nice as I enjoyed a surf and turf dinner with all the trimmings.
while we were eating my parents asked me what trouble i had gotten into and i bored them with stories about going on rides the games that were played and prizes that i tried to win after dinner was spent cashing in points to win prizes at various arcades trying to win some last prize that had caught our eye or playing some of the games i never gave dark arcon another look as we steered clear of that arcade during our journey back to the hotel room stealing myself for some of the nightmares that were going to haunt my dreams was a waste as i slept soundly without a care in the world the next morning we left for home and the 2 hour drive was uneventful as we made it home safely in 2 weeks school would start and i would be going back to school however part of me only remembers going back to seaside the following year dark arcon was nowhere to be found years passed and part of me learned of the urban legend known as polyabus a game that was developed by the us government that would cause a multitude of symptoms in people including headaches and blackouts this was part of the mk ultra which was a division of the kia that was trying to perfect mind control during the cold war however no one could ever find any information about this machine there were no roms dumped off the board and only images that could be more fan art than fiction in my later years part of me had gotten into emulation and looked for some great games to play most of these gave me a bit of nostalgia for my childhood and remembering the sights and smells of seaside to my horror my hands shook as one website announced the complete rom set for the game dark arcon plugging in the files into the emulation the game started at the attract screen my hand shook as i pressed the start button oh god i remember everything thanks for listening this story is available in reddit as dark arcon no sleep this may not be something that westerners can relate to but most eastern europeaners can recollect times from their childhood where they sat down in front of the sober their grandparents laying in bed their waxy wrinkling skin covered by five layers of blankets so that they don't get sick because we all know the cold causes well colds the fire would be going strong because it was winter the snow blanketing the ground outside smoothly no cars to create tracks this is at tara of course in the countryside where most grandparents still live to tend to their goats and chickens and what not the old ones would be telling stories of their childhood of the lands around them and sometimes of their culture of the creatures their stramosi have been telling tales about for centuries of traditions that had been going on for as long as spoken history has existed it is a beautiful moment to have in your childhood one that makes you feel warm and like you belong we romanians are very loving with our parent our land the earth that belongs to us and has been in our families for so long likewise we love our old old culture the one that has governed this earth for as long as we've been here i appreciated this when i was a child
and it was all I knew until I went to school. Got distracted by the city life and its egotistic, individualist pleasures. I went to college, as we all do. Got a nice office job at an IT firm, as all Romanian teenagers do nowadays. I had things going well for me. I had even bought a house, but I was not satisfied. I felt something missing. I felt unwhole despite all these materialistic belongings and these abstract achievements. I was longing to be united with my culture. I was an agnostic then, having been raised Christian Orthodox and eventually lost touch, disenfranchised by the religion that the majority of Romanians subscribe to. I just didn't see the point in it. I still don't, but I digress. As that is not the point. The point is that I was lost. Spiritually. I didn't know how I could possibly recover. How I could feel whole. I realized one winter. My last winter with my grandparents. Mama and Tutti had been going strong all these years. Because we are a sturdy people. They were both well in their 90s. And yet as lucid as the day they finished high school. They still loved each other, their home, and the village they lived in. They still loved their culture too. And unlike many Romanians, my grandparents were pagans. I grew up hearing stories of Strigo and Capcani. Of brave men fighting moral less creatures and protecting their families. My grandparents told me all of the stories. And they believed every single word. I did too. Until I grew up. After. They were just tall tales that I listened to in order to humor them. All while secretly being entertained and feeling like a kid again. Deesbo, my grandmother. Whispered to me that one winter. Do you know why your parents named you that? She asked. As if I hadn't heard the story every time we saw each other. Yes. Mamai. Because he was the last king of Dacia, I responded patiently, exactly. Dees. He was a brave man. Braver than any you will ever meet. He protected our people from the Romans. Who came and tried to erase our culture. Calling us barbarians. He is a hero. Dees. And you should be proud to carry that name. Yes. Mamai. I am. I honestly did not care much for my name or for the person I was named after. I was more concerned with paying my metro subscription for the month. Because my grandparents had no Wi-Fi in their house and I could only pay online while out in the countryside, away from the capital. Oh, I know it hurts you right in the ass. She scoffed, rolling her eyes. That is a Romanian phrase. Meaning you couldn't care less, no. Mamai, you know it's not like that. It's just that, well, these traditions and this history, they're in the past we live in different times now. And tales of Deesbo and of Muma Paduri aren't really relevant nowadays. She laughed. Her giggles hearty even in old age. You hear him, Vasail. We live in different times now. She chuckled. Nudging my grandfather who was under the blanket with her. Watching the news on their old box TV. I had offered to buy them a new one.
A smart TV. But they had scoffed at the thought. If it's been good until now, it'll be good forever. Grandma had remarked about their old one. My grandfather shook his head. Then reached up, grabbing something from the shelf above his head. Mirela, we have to show him. This is the only way he'll understand. He brought down a little box. This, he said, craning it so I can see through the small, dust-covered window, is a hair from the beard of Zalmoxis. I don't mean to bore you with stories about my grandparents. I know that's not why you clicked on this story. Still, I thought it would be important for you to see the process that brought me here. To understand my motivations. Maybe to even inspire you to seek a closer connection to your roots like I did, my grandparents. Showing me that small piece of history a hair from the beard of one of the most important gods in. Dasek paganism made something click in me. Their deaths sent me into action. I quit my job and left my apartment in Bucharest. And went deep into the countryside with a few belongings. Moving into my grandparents' old home. It was a shack made by my grandfather in his youth with the help of a few friends. And had stood the test of time pretty decently. It was shabby. Show. But that was not important. There. I delved deeper into our culture. Speaking with the people of the village. Which was a few kilometers away. Looking through old documents and just listening to nature. I began noticing the small details. The strange noises at night. The way the forest seemed to observe you if you spent too long getting firewood. Not all of it was scary in fact. I grew to feel closer to nature but there were parts that left me with my mouth dry and my hands. In a white knuckled grip on the handmade machete I carried with me. I'll tell you the story of my. First encounter with one of the creatures recorded in Romanian folklore. As a reward for reading through my boring thoughts and recollections. You like it. And the creature is arguably the most well-known out of all. It was a few months after my move that. The graveyard near the village was ransacked. Graves upturned. The mounds of dirt left scattered and messy. The coffins empty of corpses. Interestingly enough, the grave robber had left behind valuable items like jewelry, instead only stealing the corpses. In any modern city, the citizens and police would be stumped and at a loss. But not us. It's a strigoi. No doubt about that, declared Gahyogha, one of the men I like to hang out in the villagers' only pub with. Drinking beers out of wooden mugs. Not the first we've seen and not the last we've weathered through worse. A strigoi? I asked. Not skeptical but also not entirely convinced. I was still learning then. And how do we get rid of it? Fire, he replied. And to protect our homes while we prepare. Garlic. Like against vampires, I remarked. And he laughed. Even the bartender. An old woman who owned the Kachuma smiled a little. Napoet. You know all stories are rooted in the truth. Vlad Teeps wasn't a strigoi. 
but the stories of the creatures had been passed around for generations before him. The blood drinking only guaranteed the rumor. Then that Stucker guy came and wrote about it. Stoker, I corrected. Pa. Leave me alone with your western vragella. He raised his mug and tapped it against mine. Higher nor oak. I headed home from the pub as the sun was setting. A necklace of garlic around my neck. My machete hanging from my belt. And a bag of vegetables and other goods in my hand. I only made the trip into the village maybe twice a week. So I stocked up whenever I went. It was a chilly autumn dusk. A gentle breeze blowing against my skin. Making the hairs on the back of my neck rise. The beer in my belly warmed me up nicely. And I could feel that I was just the tiniest bit tipsy. It had been a good day. And I felt at peace with my life. A feeling I had never known in the city. I was on the beaten path. But around me were plains. Which then stretched into a thick forest of evergreen trees. The ground rose up beyond that into mountains that reached up into the clouds. It was a breathtaking sight. And I let my eyes wander around the passage as I walked. I frowned as I saw movement in the far side. Of the plains. Where the trees began. What confused me was the fact that it looked to be a person. But we were pretty far from the village and it was getting dark. The villagers did not usually go out at night. Because there were no light posts here to illuminate the street. The silhouette dashed into the bushes. Skinny and hunched over. Its hands just a bit longer than they should be. My hand reached for the machete out of reflex. But I kept walking. Pretending not to have seen it. I delved deeper into the forest as I got closer to my house. The trees grew closer and closer until I was surrounded by them. The night sky covered by their thick branches and dense pines. I wasn't afraid of the dark. This was my land. My home as a descendant of the Dacian people. This land welcomed me. I was not afraid when I saw a shadow leap from behind a tree nearby. But fear struck through me like lightning as the shape lunged at me. The creature had a small, round head and pointy ears. Its skin was grey and seemed to be hanging off its bones. The teeth in its mouth sharp but sparse. Its hands were, indeed, longer than was normal for a human. And ended in long, blackened claws. It was skinny, just skin and bone. But it was strong. It overpowered me and I was too surprised to fight back as it knocked me over. I snapped out of it. And drew my machete. Putting it in front of me to keep the thing from tearing my throat out. But it didn't fight. Instead, it hissed. A sound like steam coming out of a train's engine. A heightful noise. And jumped back. Receding into the trees. I rose. Shaken but still alive, and realized why it had spared me, the necklace of garlic. I walked into town the next day and told the villagers of what had happened. It wasn't hard to collect them all into the town square. The men were in the pub at lunchtime, taking a break to eat and drink before they resumed the handiwork and farming around the village.
We gathered into the square. All of us and some of the women but none of the children. They were too young to know that the horrors their parents told them of to keep them from wandering. Away were actually real. We devised a plan and sprung into action to prepare. Tonight, we would rid our land of the Strigora and protect our dead. We set up camp in the graveyard. No garlic on us to prevent scaring it off. Instead, we all carried unlit torches. Thick branches with a tarp at the end doused in gasoline we'd got from the only tractor in Thay. Village. In our pockets, we carried matches and holy water. As dusk set and the night sky turned black, we sat in silence, our eyes adjusting. As the last of the sun's rays fell below the horizon, a shape sprung into view. Sneaking over the thin wooden fence and make a beeline for one of the untouched graves, we all jumped into action, lighting the torches and giving chase, armed with makeshift swords and tupor axes. It was I who got to the creature first and I swung my machete its blade doused in holy water at it. The metal connected and cleaved into where its neck met its bony shoulder, cutting cleanly through. Lopping off its neck and head from its upper torso, the creature collapsed, slowly turning to a black the color of ash right before our eyes. We all threw our torches down on it and set it on fire, then sprinkled holy water on the ground and issued a prayer to our gods for guiding us through this battle. We went to the pub that night and drank ourselves blind. Then fell asleep right there on the wooden floor. Thanks for listening. This story is available in Reddit as I am a Dasek pagan living in Thay. Carpathians of Romania. I protect the modern world from old horrors. No sleep. I'll admit it. I love the weird side of YouTube. Deranged animations. Obscure ARGs. I live for that shit. But this channel took it too far. I was mindlessly scrolling through YouTube when I came across a video called Laugh by a channel called Quirty. The video had no views and it was uploaded only one minute ago. The thumbnail was nothing but a black square. Intrigued. I clicked on it. The video started with a woman with long white hair and a black dress staring into the camera. She started to giggle. Which quickly turned into maniacal laughter that seemed to echo throughout my entire room. This went on for about a minute. Most people I know would have been unsettled by this kind of content. But not me. I hit like on the video and clicked on the channel to see if there were more. Apparently, that was the only video they had uploaded. I subscribed and went back to the home page of YouTube. Just then, I received a notification. It was a new video from the channel, which was called, Burn, Wow. That was fast. I thought as I clicked on it, it seemed to be shot in a first-person pub. The person shooting it opened a window, revealing a few buildings. As soon as they opened it, all the buildings began to burn. Screams could be heard coming from them. I could even make out a small child crying. Whoever was shooting it began laughing exactly like they 
woman in the first video. The laughter somehow sounded more sinister, more malicious. As they laughed, the flames became more and more intense. Finally, they jumped into the flames. Ending the video, I was slightly unsettled, but didn't think much of it. It was probably some edgy art project, and a very well-made one at that. I just hoped it wasn't audio from an actual natural disaster. Another notification appeared. It was from that channel. The new video was titled, Cut, that video was fucked up. To say the least in it, the woman from the first video was holding a knife and stroking it gently. Almost lovingly. It's beautiful, isn't it? She giggled. So sharp. She held out her arm and placed the tip of the knife on her wrist. She took a deep breath and slashed. Blood began to flow from the gash she'd made. She laughed. The same way she'd laughed in the first video. As her laughter became louder, she slashed more and more. That's when I paused. This had gone too far. I reported the video and excited YouTube. The next day, another video from the channel appeared in my recommended. It was simply called, See, in it. The woman from the other videos was staring right at the camera. Right at me. Her hair looked messier. And there was mascara running down her cheeks. She had a wild grin on her face. Hey, Alex. I flinched at the sound of my name. I don't think you like me very much. Why? I thought you liked me. I thought we were friends. I thought you were one of us. But you betrayed us. Now you have to be punished. Goodbye. The video ended with her familiar giggle. I tried to calm myself down. Yes. This was creepy. But that video would likely be the end of it all. She probably noticed I unsubscribed. And, clearly being unstable, she decided to call me out. Still, I couldn't help but be unnerved by the way she said I had to be punished. There was a kind of sadistic glee in her voice. No. It was nothing I needed to worry about. It was just some kind of weird internet drama. I blocked her and went on with my day. That night, I dreamt of her. She was just standing there staring at me, not even blinking. Her expression was completely blank. She started to creep towards me. Her arms completely outstretched. I tried to run away, but I couldn't move any part of my body. It was like her gaze was keeping me there. That's when I woke up in a cold sweat. I didn't sleep that night. No matter how much I tried to tell myself it was just a bad dream. And it meant nothing. I knew, deep down, that there was something more going on. When I opened YouTube that morning, my feed was back to normal. At least, that's what it looked like at first glance. Something looked off about one of the thumbnails of the videos. There was a silhouette peeking through a window in the background. When I looked closer, I saw that it was her. I scrolled away. Thinking it was just my imagination. She was in all the thumbnails. I couldn't see her very clearly in all of them. But I knew she was there. I felt it. 
I excited YouTube in a panic. There was definitely something more sinister going on. I had to hide from her. Somehow, my thoughts were interrupted by shrill laughter right outside my house. I didn't have to look out my window to see who it was. The laughter seemed to echo throughout my house. No matter where I went, it was as if she was standing right next to me. It's still going on as I write this. And I don't think I can take it anymore. Please help me. Thanks for listening. This story is available in Reddit as I should have never reported that damn video. No sleep. Chicken divine. How can I help you? I muttered for the 15th time that day, trying to hide my utter disdain for this moronic job. My coffee was cold, sitting next to my laptop, laughing at the state of my life. Yes, sir. I understand. Yep. Uh huh. Well, I do apologize. The job was supposed to be part time. Something to pay the bills and keep me busy as I waited to hear back from grad school. Besides, there was not much to do in this sleepy town anyway. I can offer you a free sandwich on your next visit. I will text you the coupon shortly. He hung up. Satisfied. I hoped. I swiveled in my chair when I heard footsteps. A tall gate with a slight delay on the second step. I couldn't figure out who this was, which was a little strange considering that I knew most everyone in the office. I turned to find Bill walking right toward us. It was a rare sight to see him here. Most employees had only spoken to him once or twice. Didn't help that there were rumors that he had started to lose it after his wife left him. Ironically, he opened the restaurants with what he had left after the divorce. He walked past our section and nodded at me and Dave. The door to his office closed and the tension in the room immediately dropped. What is up with that? Man, I asked Dave, why is he so weird around here? He is busy working. Let him be, she replied. The phone rang. Chicken divine. How can I help you? Dave asked. With a familiar smile on her face, Dave was as good as someone working in customer service could get. She consistently ranked the highest in her surveys. While I was mostly average, perhaps I needed a lesson in patience. How do you do it, Dave? What's the secret? The key is to empathize, she said. That sounded easy enough. But I never could apply it to practice. Being at a job like this can wear you down fast. Most days I'd go home completely spent. Emotionally and mentally. Didn't help that my only friend was a sweet old co-worker in her 50s. It all started on a mundane day. I had come home from a long day of work and was lounging on my sofa, trying to nurse a beer before bed. The news was playing in the background. A body had been found in one of the houses by the park. A tragedy, I thought, but nothing extraordinary in these parts of town. After all, the town experienced a homicide every few years. What was interesting, however, was the cause of death. The victim had been stabbed and then hacked to death. Limbs were scattered around the area. 
Police refused to provide more details. But I was able to correctly assume that it was Mr. Carr based on the pictures of the house. I was at work when the second one was announced. A kidnapping. Police were looking for clues on the whereabouts of M. Zyrene Sparlock. Irene was 45 and about 5'7". She was last seen leaving the grocery store a week prior. We all started taking more precautions. I stopped leaving the house after dark. Dave started to work remotely. And police presence was significantly increased. The town was now draped in a cloud of anxiety and fear. A press conference was held. Justice was promised. In the subsequent months, people understandably became skeptical of strangers. It wasn't until the third one that I realized that something here was amiss. This time, the chief inspector broke the news to us. A third body had been found. The moor was remarkably similar to that of the first homicide. Robert S. Flores had been found dead in his apartment by his wife. He had been stabbed 22 times and the job had been completed with a machete. He was just 28. This one hit me harder than the rest since I had spoken to him a week prior. He was given the wrong soda. But that was all I could recall. Three months later, two more people disappeared. Larry Henderson and Letta Edwards. The police, already stretched thin were now questioning all leads and spending most of its resources on the case. The frenzy had died down a bit, so it made their jobs a little easier. That Tuesday, I pulled into work and was overtaken by a feeling of dread. Like someone had just told me that my own death was imminent. I felt a shock travel down my limbs and had a tingling sensation in my head. I had an itch that needed to be scratched. I rerouted all my calls and started pacing around the office. Larry Henderson. Larry Henderson. I had seen that name before. I pulled up our customer interaction spreadsheet. I found his name in row 117. It looked like his call was about missing ketchup. I kept staring at the spreadsheet. Combing through all the complaints we had received in the past year. My heart sank. Irene Sparlock. This had to be a coincidence. Brian Carr was 15 rows above Irene. My hands shaking. I searched for Letta Edwards. Show sure enough. Highlighted in yellow was her name on the screen. 15 rows below Larry. I slumped in my desk in utter disbelief. Panic eventually gave way to a frightening insight. There were precisely 15 rows between each case. I double-checked this, triple-checked it and then called 911. Much of what happened after is a blur. I was at the station giving my statement. Officers were shepherding me from room to room. Bill, the restaurant owner, was called in for questioning. Detective Irby told me they had been following him for the past three months. His car had been spotted near two of the murders around midnight, which they believed was when the crimes occurred. The company was bought for pennies on the dollar. I quit right after the news broke. 
Dave also took the plunge into her retirement and moved up north. I felt uneasy about the whole thing. I knew that Bill was strange and a bit reclusive. But I had never in a million years expected this. Around the time of sentencing, I got into a master's program across the country. The town was able to breathe a sigh of relief and I was able to finally initiate my exit plan. Right. At the beginning of fall, I had packed my bags and was ready to move out. I checked the mail one last time and found a letter addressed to me with no return address. I opened it. Hey kiddo, thank you for covering for me till the very end. See you soon. Daybex. Thanks for listening. This story is available in Reddit as I work customer service at a chain restaurant. People who complain are disappearing. No sleep. The farmhouse my wife and I purchased was an unbelievable bargain, the result of an extensive online search for the cheapest rural home we could find. We couldn't understand why this particular house was priced so low. That was until we looked on a map and saw how secluded it was, only attached to the mainland by a single bridge, with just one small village nearby. We would be far out in the middle of nowhere. Still, we decided to acquire it, hoping for an adventure of sorts. What we didn't realize, what we never would have guessed, was that by purchasing the place we had become unwitting contestants in a game. A game being run by some of the richest and most powerful people on the planet, the killing. Game, 7734. That's it. Slow down. I slammed my foot down hard on the brakes. Everything in the back of the moving truck shifted forward and I winced as I heard boxes and furniture loudly topple over. The sounds of a thousand small items scattering everywhere. Great. Christine sighed as I pulled the truck into the long gravel driveway. Having slowed down just in time. You could have just turned around and come back. You know. Yeah. I know. I said. Exhausted from the drive. Too tired to argue the point. The gravel crunched beneath the wheels of the big moving truck as we. Rolled up the long driveway towards our new home. I eyed the crooked branches hanging low from the trees above. Looking ready to puncture the top of the moving truck and void my precious security deposit. I listened closely for the sound of their scraping against the box and prepared to slam on the brakes if necessary. A sign hanging from a short wooden post on the left proclaimed the name of the property. Carved into the placard with a careful hand were the words. Kilgore Farm. Well, isn't that a fun name for the place? I said, trying to make light of the bad omen. Conroe stood high on the right side of us, bending slightly in the breeze. An identical gap between each one. To the left was a small pond, a scattering of trees, their leaves just beginning to turn yellow. And eventually the old brick farmhouse itself came into view. Appearing out of the trees ahead on the left, beyond the house was a well-used looking barn. Old and weather-worn. Flecked with faded red, peeling paint. Further past that, 
The gravel road led even deeper into the property. There would be acres and acres of land if we drove past the barn. Mostly forest and hay fields. Yet we had somehow gotten it for an incredible bargain. It was as if no one wanted to live there. Despite all the beauty which surrounded the place, as I drove up the country lane towards our new home, I couldn't help but admire the scenery. It seemed like the sky was bigger and bluer here. Like the sun shone brighter and the air was crisper and fresher. Forests and rolling fields were all that could be seen for miles. Christine and I had both grown up on big farms as kids before moving to large cities and had fantasized about one day moving back out onto the land and fending for ourselves. We had no idea what we were in for. I brought the truck to a stop and we got out, stretching our legs and our backs. It had been a long drive from the city. But we weren't going back. At least that's what we told ourselves. I still can't believe this place is ours, my wife said. Breathing in the country air and looking up at the big house. We lived too far away to come see the place in person prior to moving. So we'd settled for pictures and a video tour of the house. Scoping out every angle on Google Earth and Street View. Snapping it up before anyone else noticed what a bargain it was. The two of us worked remotely and didn't need to commute. Making the isolated homestead the perfect place to settle down and start a family. There were no neighbors for miles. No Walmarts or McDonald's. Number 24-hour convenience stores or well you get the picture. We were in the boonies. In the sticks. We were in the country. Damn it. But now that we were there looking at the house. I felt unsettled. Restless. The big old house had a presence about it. An aura. That I didn't like very much at all. Big windows looked down like jealous eyes from the second floor. The porch and angry. Teeth gritting mouth. Ivy ran down the rear of the house like the long, dark hair of a witch and along the crumbling bricks of the chimney. I noticed a great many birds circling and cawing overhead, but they weren't the good kind. Ravens and crows looked down at us as they flew in lazy spirals above. Scarecrows stood watch like sentries guarding the corn in the neighboring field. Just on the other side of the driveway. Huh, I said. Not sure what I wanted to get out. A little creepy looking. Isn't it? Christine said. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Probably just new house jitters. The front door unlocked with an effort. And I turned the rusted door knob. It squealed as it swung open and the sound echoed back from the shadows of the squalid. Empty old house. No one had bothered to clean the place in quite some time. I realized, the pictures we had seen online had either been taken many years before or had been heavily photoshopped. We had been scammed. In other words, the place was not quite a disaster. But it was in really bad shape. The floors and windows were filthy with dust and years of neglected. Grime, the bare wooden floorboards were water-stained, broken, and missing in places.
Leaves had blown in at some point in the past and had been left in heaped piles here and there. The entire house had a haunted, eerie feeling to it as we walked around, inspecting the money pit we had purchased. I couldn't help but feel like eyes were on the back of my neck at all times. Watching us closely, but from where? Inside the walls? It sure felt that way. It's gonna take some work, my wife said as she put a hand on my back. Reassuringly, I have never been able to hide my emotions and I could only imagine what she saw written across my face. I guess we'd better clean up a bit before bringing anything else inside. I agreed and went back out to the truck. Hoping to find a broom and some garbage bags amidst all the stuff we had packed, but before I could get back to the truck, something stopped me dead in my tracks. Sitting on the front porch was now an immaculately gift-wrapped package. I almost tripped over it going back through the door and looked down at it with confusion. We had only been inside for a minute and the present hadn't been there when we went in. I was sure of it. Hello? I called out, stepping wide around the box as if it were a bomb instead of a housewarming gift with a red satin ribbon tied neatly around it. The big box was covered in blue wrapping paper imprinted with sports imagery, baseball bats and soccer balls, hockey sticks and footballs. Who are you talking to? Christine saw the box and smiled. What's that? How did you sneak that in the truck without me seeing it? She bent down to pick it up. What's with the wrapping paper? Wait, I said, grabbing her arm. That's not mine. Someone just left it and I guess they ran off. Christine didn't seem to know what to make of that. At first she looked like she almost didn't believe me. I'm serious. Why would? She went over to the driveway and began to look around, putting her hand over her eyes to block the glare as she examined the property, looking for intruders. After a few long moments she came back, holding herself tightly and looking uneasy, her eyes darting side to side. Why would anyone do that? She asked softly, eyes fixed on the box. Maybe just shy neighbors? Wanted to drop off a housewarming present but they were in a hurry? I'm as confused as you. And not just by the wrapping paper. Looks like something you'd give to a 10-year-old boy on his birthday. My words sounded hollow even. To my own ears. In the end, we both settled on opening it. We began to unwrap the gift right on the front porch. Christine untied the ribbon and hesitantly tore the wrapping paper, revealing a plain, unpainted wooden box. The top was a laid, attached by brass hinges and a clasp. My shaking hand reached to open it when suddenly I heard tires. Crunching the gravel driveway and a car horn began to honk erratically, piercing my eardrums with the noise. I looked up to see Tom behind the wheel of our old car. A big, goofy grin on his face. Greg and Sarah were with him. They were coming up the driveway. Arriving late as usual. They had lost us on the highway but had found the place eventually. Using GPS, 
The two of us left the box unopened on the front porch. Forgetting about it for the time being as we went over to greet our friends who had driven halfway across the country, following after us, to help us move and to see us off. The box ended up half forgotten until later that evening. There was only so much light left in the day. After all, and the priority was to clean up and get everything moved inside. Night would be coming soon and there was so much to do. This place is gonna need a fresh coat of paint, Tom said, putting his size 13 shoes up on the coffee table and sipping a cold beer. Not to mention a few other things. Foosball table. For sure, right over there in that corner. We had just finished bringing everything inside and we were all sitting down in the living room, surrounded by boxes, out of breath and exhausted. We had cleaned the place for hours, sweeping, mopping the floors, and washing the walls as well as we could. Only after that had we moved everything inside. It had taken twice as long due to the unexpected state of the place. But we were finally finished. At least for the time being. It's their place. Not yours, Sarah said, elbowing him. As if Christine wants a frickin' foosball table in the middle of her living room. Normally this would be when the hosts would order pizza for everybody. But there was nothing like that out in the isolated countryside. So we had to settle for some hot dogs we had ready in the cooler for just this occasion. I cooked them up on our stovetop grill and brought them out on a plate for everyone. There's a little town nearby. More of a village. Really. Weird name. Saint Adjudicator or something. I was saying. Saint Ajuta. Christine said. Correcting me. We stopped by the general store there earlier and I'll bet they have paint and whatever else we might need to do a few more things around here tomorrow, I said. Sitting down and eating a big bite of hot dog. The markup will probably be brutal, though, Tom nodded. Saying he was happy to help out. He would be a good person to have around for assistance with a few quick repairs and renovations. Since he had become quite the handyman over the years, I took another bite of hot dog and felt something crunch inside my mouth. Between my teeth, a strange taste was there as well, coppery and unpleasant, and a grittiness that settled on my tongue and didn't go away, feeling disgusted. But curious if I had chipped a tooth perhaps, I spit out the bite of hot dog and looked at it in my hand. Worriedly, it was the face of a small unborn chicken. I had bitten down hard on its beak, bile rising in my gullet. I looked at the rest of the hot dog in my hand. In the sausage casing were partially developed claws in the body of a fertilized chicken egg which had been stuffed inside. Chunks of the fetal bird's body parts trickled out onto the floor with wet, slopping sounds. I threw it to the ground and ran to the bathroom to puke. Tom had also taken a bite of his and did likewise, spitting into the sink while I hugged the filthy porcelain throne. When I got back, my bewildered and disturbed friends asked where I had gotten the horror show hot dogs from.
the answer, the local general store. They had been the manager's special. When we stopped there on the way through town, we definitely wouldn't be buying those again. I didn't want to go back there at all after that, but we didn't have much choice. It was the only place around for miles where you could get most items eventually. This disgusting bit of business receded from our conversation. As we tried to change the topic quickly, I hoped it had been an ill fated mistake on some distracted butcher's part. But that was hard to imagine. It seemed blatantly intentional. The house was dimly lit with a few lamps and we turned on music to distract us. It played in the background as dusk began to turn to darkness outside. The five of us ate chips and chocolate bars we had bought from a rest stop along the way. Scared to eat anything else from the general store. We drank cold beer and laughed like old times. I realized with a sinking heart that this would be the last time I would see them all for quite a while. I couldn't help but think about how much I would miss them all once they left. And then Tom saw the wooden box. It was sitting separate from everything else. The bow stuck haphazardly to the top of it. What's this? He asked. Oh, forgot about that. We haven't had time to open it yet. Just some housewarming present one of the neighbors brought over. Tom walked over to it while I was grabbing a drink from the case and while Christine was looking through the playlist for a different song. Neither one of us saw him open it. But as I was coming back into the living room from the kitchen, I heard his scream, high and shrill and completely unlike his normal voice. And then I heard the loud bang as the box hit the floor and toppled over. Something heavy and round rolling out of it. At first I thought it was a bowling ball. But then I looked closer and saw that those were not finger holes. But I saw Kit staring back at me from the round flesh colored thing on the floor, empty. Cavernous I saw Kit's. Dark and hollow. It was the decapitated head of someone familiar. I realized, it was hard to be sure at first. Without the eyes. They say the eyes are the windows to the soul. After all, staring at it rolling back and forth on the ground. It dawned on me whose face it was. It was Tom's head. The same Tom who was right there. Looking horrified. On the other side of the room, or so I had thought. I would recognize my best friend anywhere. Surely, even without his eyes, TCC. Thanks for listening. This story is available in Reddit as The Killing Game. No sleep.